everyone and welcome to uh, this on-spec live catch-up chat. Um, I'm, I'm Nadine Gori and I am delighted to be here um, with Astrid Agopian, who was the reporter on our recent podcast, When a Frozen Conflict Wakes Up, which was uh, a story about a conflict that many of us know nothing about and haven't really heard about before between Armenia and Azerbaijan. It's a simmering, slow conflict that um, is, is in danger of, of being reignited. Um, Astrid, this was a deeply personal story for you. Can you just tell us a little bit more about your family, your family's history, where they're from, and why this conflict is so embedded into your personal history? Yes, so I was born and raised in France, but I have an Armenian last name and I'm Armenian. Um, I'm 23 years old, so I was not even born yet when the first war between Armenia and Azerbaijan in the 80s, 90s happened. So, of course, you know, growing up in France, I did have that Armenian heritage. My mother is from Armenia. My father is Armenian and Lebanese from Ethiopia. So I only knew, you know, about the stories that kind of the adults talk about in the family. And yes, there was war. There was another war. There was genocide. A lot of those really sad stories. But to be honest, I was growing up in a peaceful country. I had no idea what war means, what war is. You know, it was just in history books for me. And in 2020... Can I ask you a question? How Armenian did you feel growing up or how French did you feel? Or were you a mixture of both? Well, I can only say I was always 100% French and 100% Armenian. There is just, there's no 50-50, there's no in-between. I was born and raised in France, so of course it's my country. I spoke French, most of my friends are French. But you know, at home, my intimate language was always Armenian. I was growing up around the food, the music. Also, I have family there that I would travel and, you know, go visit in the summers. So the link to my Armenian identity was also very strong. But I would say it's mostly the the link with the history or just understanding of what war is and what maybe my people went through. I didn't really get that just because I was also very young. And again, growing up in a peaceful country, I don't think you can understand really what it means. So you heard those stories of war and, and exactly. of, of histories of genocide, which are so sort of embedded within Armenian culture and within within the history. Can you actually just for any listeners who don't know about the Armenian genocide, can you tell us about that? Yes. So all of my family actually originally was from what is now modern day Turkey and the Ottoman Empire at the time. And in 1915, and it lasted over you know a span of a few years, there was killings of more than one million and a half Armenians living in the Ottoman Empire by the Young Turks and the government uh, in place at the time, which means it was a genocide, which means that so many people died and the people who survived had to flee, which is why there's this huge Armenian diaspora today, you know, and which is why my family is just spread all over the world. I have family in Lebanon, I had in Syria, you have in the US, in France, all over. And it all goes back to this genocide and fleeing that big catastrophe. So for me, it's actually quite close. It's not even, you know, many, many generations ago, my own grandfather, the father of my father was an orphan of that genocide. So, you know, it's a memory, it's a trauma that, of course, is in the family. And even if you're young and growing up in the West, you do hear some stories, you don't know everything, but you can definitely, you know, you can feel the weight of history. 
And so that was a 1915 genocide. And then yeah. your parents, the conflict that was one closest to them was between Armenia and Azerbaijan in the 1980s. Yeah, for my mother and then my family from my father's side also being Lebanese, they also had to go through the Lebanese civil war. And my father was born in Ethiopia and there was also a war and a revolution in the 70s in Ethiopia. So he had to flee again. So it's actually a very strong thing in my family history is war. But again, so the war in the 90s, 80s between Armenia and Azerbaijan, that's something my mom experienced because she was living in Armenia. And it was very common to what happened again in 2020, which we'll go into a bit later. But, you know, that whole thing of suddenly all of the men leave and they're going to war and you don't know who's going to come back. And that's extremely violent. And it was 30 years ago. We kind of thought it was not going to happen or not now. And then it happened again in 2020. So, yeah, tell us what happened in 2020 and how you came to do the story for OnSpec. So I was just living my life in France, uh, starting to work as a journalist. I was working for the French public TV and I really did not see this coming. I have to insist on that because that's why it was so violent also for me, is that at the beginning of 2020, you know, there was a few things happening at the border, skirmishes, as we say, but it happens all the time. So we never really thought, okay, now it's going to be a real war. You know, I had that news, but I was just living my life. And then one day in September 2020, I'm at work and my mother calls me and she just says, it has started, war has started. And I really don't think I understood what she was saying. I, I was just like, what were you talking about? What war? It's just, it's going to be fine. Just a few days on the border. It's going to stop. And then she's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. All the men left. Your uncle, your cousins, the neighbors, everybody like had to go there. They're going to fight. It's a real war this time. And I just, I, I couldn't believe it. And I think for the whole time it lasted for two months, a bit more. I just still couldn't believe it every day, the news. I was just reading the news, trying to get, you know, some news from my own family members and friends and, and people I know there. And I just still couldn't believe it was happening. And I started to think about why couldn't I believe it was happening? What, what did I miss during my lifetime that I didn't even think war could happen again? Because, you know, I'm also a journalist. So I started kind of, it was this weird mix of personal, but also professional guilt of being like, okay, but you didn't study this well enough. You know this region, you've worked there, you're interested. And yet you're very surprised that there's a war happening. So first I went there and I kind of had to take time for personal matters and just, you know, heal, understand what had happened, see friends and family. And then I was like, I need to work on this. I need to understand why I did not see this coming. And I was looking for ways to do that. And that's when I thought about, you know, doing this podcast for OnSpec because I went on the border and then for the first time ever, we were always talking, you know, about this war, about Azerbaijan as an enemy. Of course, there's so much violence and hatred when there's a war and that's normal on all sides. That always happens. But then I was surprised one day to talk with someone who was older than me and lived on the border, so right next to Azerbaijan, and actually had a discourse that was not really full of hate. And that was the first time I heard something like that. So I, you know, I just thought, okay, maybe this 
can be the key for me to understand what is happening here, what happened, and why does this person say this when people my generation in the capital, in Yerevan, so quite far away from Rarabakh and the border and where the conflict actually happens, have so much hatred and these people don't. And I thought maybe that can help me understand what is going on between those two countries, what happened. And that's why I decided to do this podcast. And, and is that why you decided to go to the border? Absolutely, because, you know, that's where you can find people who are old enough and, you know, really lived with Azerbaijanis before. Because on the other side of Armenia, where uh, Yerevan is located, it's actually just geographically far, so it didn't happen that much. Okay. And I just want to ask you, you, you described very articulately your surprise that this couldn't be happening. When your mother told you that the war had started again, was she surprised? I think everybody was surprised, to be honest. Um, I just think she expected war to start again, knowing what war is. But she was also surprised because nobody expected it to happen so soon. Now, I say so soon, it's 30 years after. So, you know, it's quite some time. But I still think, you know, people thought it would happen after other wars started around and then maybe this would also start. Um, actually, at the time, a lot of people were talking about Ukraine and were worried that if war starts in Ukraine, it will start here as well. And then actually this war started before the war in Ukraine. So, you know, there's this weird also thing going on of comparing with other wars and thinking it's not just our conflict. You know, there are so many other countries involved that it depends on them. But everybody was surprised, I think. OK. And so tell me a little bit about approaching the story. Let's drill down into the journalism now, because obviously this one is so personal for you. You're on a, an exploratory mission for yourself, in a sense, for your own healing, but also journalistically to say, what have I missed here about this place mm -hmm. that, that is so much part of me? So as a journalist, where do you start with that? So the first thing, which was not easy because personal and professional were mixing there, but the first thing I thought about was how am I going to talk to the other side? Because I'm Armenian, I'm here. But I said, you know, for this story, I'm going to need to talk to people from both sides because you need to be two people to make war. So my first thing was just how am I going to do that? Because my name is Armenian. It's quite obvious. I don't know how should I contact people? Will they not want to talk to me? How am I going to feel talking to them? You know, all that. And that's actually where my producer comes in um, because she is Russian. And, and that's your, your producer, Sacha Tian. Yes, absolutely. Um, she's a Russian citizen, which means she speaks Russian, which is very useful because both countries used to be Soviet republics and, you know, the language is widespread. And she is neutral in this, which not really, it's ironic to say that since Russia as a country is also involved in this conflict, but I thought, okay, maybe she could contact. And, you know, that's why also I started working with her um, to help me do this part that I thought maybe I'm not going to be able to do myself. Um, and she did help me contact a lot of people. She talked with also Azerbaijani journalists to try to find sources there. And that was actually necessary because she got answers that maybe I wouldn't have gotten, that for sure I didn't get, and, and things you like really that. You really think so that people wouldn't have spoken to you? Sorry. Absolutely. Not, not necessarily because they wouldn't want to speak to me, but because they would get scared. Why, why is this Armenian person trying to talk to me? Um, you know, or is this a trap? Or is there, you know, it was right after war. So there was still this kind of paranoia everywhere. Or, and it could start again. And who is this? Is this a spy? And, you know, a lot of that going on. 
Um, so that was the very first thing journalistically. I was like, I'm going to need to talk to the other side and I need to find the ways to make that happen. And my producer, Sasha Tian, was really, really a big help for that. Um, then I also needed to work on my own bias and understand that actually if I go and talk to older people, because I am young, I think I know everything because I'm on Twitter, but the reality on the ground can be really different. And the type of discourse on the Armenian side that I can listen to and discover being on the ground is going to be different, you know, reporting than just reading about the news or staying in circles of younger people. And it has actually happened. That's how I found the most interesting stories. So, so that was also important to do. Um, and then after that, I just basically had to do my job. You know, once I had found those, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do the interviews, discover things while I'm doing them, and then just tell the story the best way I can. And tell me about some of your favorite characters, because one of the things that stayed with me listening to this podcast were some of those villagers uh, who really were such interesting people. Um, who's your favorite? I guess it would be Misha. So he's one of the villagers from, from the border. Uh, so he's Armenian, you know, he's already in his uh, 60s, 70s, white hair, piercing blue eyes. And, you know, he's a farmer, but he likes to present himself also as an entrepreneur. And I really like that, that, that way of, you know, taking himself seriously, but also not taking himself that seriously. And what I really liked about him was his honesty. The way he just, you know, told me about yeah so I did have you know Azerbaijani friends and I know now we shouldn't say this I know I might get hit for this but you know it was true so I'm just telling you as it is and I was really actually surprised to to find that type of honesty and also because it's actually dangerous for him to say things like that because he's in a village that is literally on the border and as we said before this war is not really finished you know some really bad things can still happen and he's on the first line. So he knows he can be a target by saying things like that, because it's not only in Armenia, in Azerbaijan too, some people don't want those stories to be told, you know, they just want to focus on war and now it's the enemy and that's it. And that's all we need to know. Um, so I really liked him and, and the way he would like be funny, joke, talk about all his crazy life, but be very, very honest and, you know, tell me a story that he would have been better off not saying maybe. But then at the age of 67, having lived through two wars already, it's it's easy to see where, perhaps easier to see where that level of honesty comes from because he's, he's been through so much. One of the other stories that really stayed with me was an anecdote um, about women taking soldiers to task for firing on people and saying, why right. are you doing that? Again, it was older women who were saying, why are you doing that? Why are you shooting at them? Yeah, absolutely. I was really surprised to hear about that story because, again, for the reasons we were mentioning, it's not the type of stories people want to talk about on either side. Um, but it also made so much sense. So it's the story of, of uh, Azerbaijani women who took off their headscarves. So, you know, it's a Muslim country, so they're wearing headscarves. And it's a really big deal to take off your headscarf in front of the soldiers and, you know, curse at them. Um, but the fact that they did that, asking the soldiers not to fire at the Armenian village, it also, you know, it just makes so much sense because they're villagers, just like the villagers I talked to on the Armenian side. And they're the first village. They're the first one, the first ones on the line. So if it starts, if anything bad happens, you know, they know that if Azerbaijanis shoot at the Armenian village, then there's going to be a response. And so it's bad just for every one of them. 
who are just farmers in that region in both sides you know it's just the same type of people they have their lands they just want to live peacefully and that's it so you know i was surprised but also it made so much sense and i figured that it's important to tell those stories because it does make sense but we just need to be honest and tell that it's how people really feel sometimes because if we don't then that's how you tend to forget that that's how people feel that's how you think that war is just normal and everybody wants it and you also you know it's important to tell those stories even though it can be dangerous for the people who are sharing them it's it's extremely important to us as a, a team at onspec to hear those stories too to hear those real voices behind sort of major news events and and as you said, it makes perfect sense that villagers, they don't want to be at war with each other because when war starts, they, they are first in the firing line. Um, and it's probably the same of villages on front lines all over the world, wouldn't you think? They, they, they were so uniquely Armenian and Azerbaijani, the voices in your podcast, but they struck me as sort of every man and every woman in conflicts that could be anywhere. Absolutely. And actually, I was just reporting in Ukraine for a few weeks and of course, it's a very different conflict, but it's basically always the poorest, most fragile people who suffer most in wars. And that's just the thing that, you know, is, is quite striking is that it's always them. And when I was in Donbass, it was those populations who were the most touched. And it was the same the eight years before in the war there. And it's the case between Armenia and Azerbaijan. In all of the wars, it's always the most fragile people who suffer the most. I'd like to say, um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, please. I just wanted you to share more of your experiences in Ukraine because we know that you, you have just spent the past few weeks there. So where to begin? Um, well, that was, um, you know, I just, I'm really young and I did not expect my career to start with wars and then it just kind of happened. So Ukraine was the second time I covered a conflict. This time it was very different because it's a high intensity conflict and it's really the first time I saw something like that. Um, but you know what was also interesting to witness in Ukraine is how even there war is very different regarding the regions that you're into. So I was in Kyiv and then I was in Kharkiv while the city was being liberated. And then I went to Donbass. And what the people were telling me in Donbass is that they are not surprised about this invasion, about this war, that they were kind of waiting for it and that they have known what the reality of war is for eight years already. And in the rest of the country, it was a very different, it was a huge shock, a huge surprise. Nobody in Kyiv would have expected, you know, a full-scale war, war coming to them. And I thought it was interesting to witness that even within the Ukrainian society, there was this kind of, not knowledge divide, but just not the same expectations, which is related to experience and to the fact that people in Donbass have already experienced war and have already dealt with the Russians and kind of knew what to wait for. And then... You know, it's just always the same thing with war. It's quite terrible. You see a lot of people suffering, children, bombings make no sense. You don't even know what is going on always. You just see the consequences and it's just strategies always. And you are incredibly young. You are just starting your career and, and you're doing some quite extraordinary work already. And, you, you know, we're thrilled to, to have you as part of the OnSpec team. Um, how are you coping with that? How, how are you feeling after coming back from Ukraine? Because it's not easy, is it? I mean, I've spent a lot of time myself covering conflicts around the world and it, it stays with you. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely it does. Um, but I think, you know, we we're talking about this at the very beginning. 
But after what I experienced in 2020, being so young and having more burst into my life on a professional and personal level at the same time, you just toughen up a bit. You know, I'm not going to say it's always hard. It was really hard in Ukraine, too. But you start having mechanisms to cope with it. You start, you know, trying to separate your work life and your personal life. You talk to a therapist. That's always very useful. You share your experiences with colleagues. And I think I would I didn't want to become a war reporter. And to be honest with you, it just kind of happened because of the war in 2020. And because I understand the pain of it, I understand what it is. And I now see it kind of as my duty to go and report on it because I really understand the suffering of the people I'm interviewing. And I think they feel that too. And I think it's good for my reporting and that's the stories that should get out. And it's, you just cover it in a different way. And I think it's actually the way it should be covered. And define what you mean by that, the way it should be covered. I mean that I don't care about guns that much. Of course, it's part of the story and you report on that. But I really care about people. And it might sound very obvious what I'm saying, but it's actually not. And, and you know, when you're working in a war zone, you, you see very different types of things. And I only focus on people. That's the only thing that interests me. Because war happened to me through family, through people, through very human stories and links. And that's just what I want to focus on, because I think that's that matters more than we tend to say it. Of course, there's geopolitics, political things happening, weapons, military. But in the end, it's people who suffer all of those consequences and it's going to shape them. A frozen conflict wakes up that your report for on spec was absolutely at its heart, it, a story about people living across a divide. And it was such a moving and powerful story. Um, and for a young reporter who's at the start of your career, um, I'm really excited to see where your career takes you for the next few years, um, because it's clear you, you bring something unique to, to war reporting. And that, that is that personal experience. So. Thank you so much for sharing these stories with us today. Um, I hope people listening have, have got a little bit more of an understanding and, um, and have been as fascinated by hearing you talk today as I have. So thank you so much. And you're joining us from Lebanon. Are you, you there with family now or are you working? Yes, well, both, as okay. always. <laughs> and what stories are you looking at in Lebanon right now? I'm actually going to work on the Armenian community here, which is starting to leave uh, because of the situation, and also about the um, food crisis that is occurring all over the Middle East related to Ukraine. And Lebanon was already in an economic crisis, um, a devastating one. So, so that has been made worse by food shortages relating to Ukraine. Is that correct? Yes, yes, because they were importing so much food from there, which now they can't because of the war happening and. There's a storage problem, many economic problems here. So it's very complicated and a big, big worry what is going to happen in Lebanon. Well, look forward to, to hearing or reading what, what, you, what you report from Lebanon. And, and um, I hope that we'll, we'll be hearing from you as, from OnSpec again. Um, so thank you again for joining us, um, everybody. This is, this is a quintessential OnSpec. Um, stories that reporters are passionate about stories that reveal people behind the major news stories. Um, again, thank you. It was a wonderful podcast and um, we wish you the very best for now in the future.
Thank you.